Hello and welcome to Hexagon Spotlight. My name is Natanya and I'm thrilled to welcome you to the first episode of Tales of the Surveyor, the new Leica Geosystems surveying podcast. You know, retracement is probably the most interesting thing a surveyor ever does, is to follow the footsteps of somebody that was there long before. But I think uh, surveying is quasi-everything. I mean, it is history, the latest technology, and everything in between. In today's episode, three guests with unique perspectives on surveying and the advancement of surveying technology share their stories to connect surveying history with today's cutting-edge innovations, including one of our most recent revolutionary, the AP20 Autopole. Thank you very much for talking to us today. And Sheldon, I want to start with you. You've been a surveyor for over 48 years. So how did it all start? How did you get into surveying? Um, I attended Sand Hills Community College here in Moore County, North Carolina, after service in the Army. My younger brother played baseball at, at the college, and he said, we need somebody like you to come play with us after I <laughs> transitioned out of the service. And uh, I came to Sandhills and uh, immediately uh, became interested in surveying because it was, uh, it fits me. I'm an outside kind of person, but I love math mathematics and science and all that stuff. So it was a good mix. And uh, I've been interested ever since and still am today. I'm That's great. I'd keep pouring stuff in here, you know. <laughs> That's good. Never stop learning, right? Yes. So looking back all, all of those years, um, yeah, can you take us on, on the journey of, of the biggest milestones of, of innovations and of things you've seen surveying go through? I mean, it's not the same industry as it once was 48 years ago, right? Right, right. Yeah, the first survey I participated in was with a K&E one-minute transit. <laughs> and uh, we used range poles for the backside and foresight measured with a steel tape. So I've seen practically all of it, and I've done a couple of surveys with a compass, but not for boundary. It's just to find, you know, uh, a point someplace out in space. It's kind of cool. And airports here uh, also want the windrows to be a magnetic compass north so the airplanes can pull into the uh, location and orient their compasses and fly away. And they, they make the adjustment for that. So, yeah, I've seen all of it in my life, except for the shadow caster. I never did that, you know. All right. All right. Well, Starting from, from that very beginning, where did it take you after that? Uh, I, my first instrument was a, a 22nd theodolite, and uh, I mounted a distance meter on it after about a year and a half of ownership, and uh, it destroyed the bearing in the machine <laughs> because of the weight. And, uh, of course, the technologies. It's just advancing by leaps and bounds. And, and uh, I bought an instrument that had the uh, distance measuring internally. Um, ended up 
uh, several years ago, I bought a used TCRA 1102. And that's the best instrument I've ever had up to that point. I also had a Jotometer robot that uh, I bought in 1995. It sat in the corner of my office for a year before I used it. Because the technology, I mean, we didn't have software and I had to learn the software and and I just didn't have the time at the time to do that. So uh, over time, I, I managed to uh, use that machine, really nice piece of equipment, very heavy, about 19 pounds. So uh, when Leica came along, uh, the 1102 was the best instrument I had owned at the time. I found an 1101 and bought it sold my 1102 to a young man that worked for me about 25 years ago. And uh, he just loves it, you know. So <laughs> I wanted to get, uh, for me, I, I'm completely robotic. I do every bit, all of the work myself, all of it. So I knew Dean had worked for me years ago too. And uh, I looked at, I, contact the transit level and looked at them with uh, at the instruments and decided on the TS-16, which I have today, and it's wonderful. It's, it's uh, much lighter, easier to carry. So uh, that's what I'm doing today. Wow, that's great. That technology today, and it's great. You you went all, all the way through it, and now today it's, I guess, a whole other feeling to be in the field with those with the, those innovations, right? Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Great. I programmed, uh, I learned C, some assembler, Lisp, uh, because I was using AutoCAD since 1982. And uh, it's just fascinating. It's good for me, you know, <laughs> to learn that, uh, how to program as well. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Wow. Impressive. You you really never stop learning. That that's amazing. Great. Well, Hans Martin and Richard, I want to come to you. You guys both uh, studied civil engineering and then found your ways um, to Leica to actually be basically on the other side of what uh, Sheldon just told us. Um, the ones who are part of the teams who are um, yeah innovating those those amazing um, products. So um, Hans Martin, yeah. How how did you get into uh, into surveying and uh, in how, yeah how do you see the whole surveying industry evolving with these innovations? I mean how I got into surveying it was actually the fascination since long times for maps for land as well as I read books about you know the surveyors from the long time they were kind of explorers mm -hmm. and that mm -hmm. uh, fascinated me mm -hmm. but then the first step actually I did it pretty similar as a uh, Sheldon, mm -hmm. I was in the military, so I was oh. in the military uh, a surveyor there in artillery, and so I got into more and more into surveying. Then I started uh, my studies, and I realized as well. I mean, surveying is not just uh, uh, maps and not just uh, uh, measurement; it's much, much more. Uh, it's at the end; it is actually collecting say, geospatial information, uh, analyze this information actually as well provide information out of the data 
And that fascinated me heavily during my studies. But then once during my studies, somehow I got more interested in how to collect these data, how they get collected. So I got in touch with Leica Geosystems. And uh, since then, actually, I was then working with Leica Geosystems on the manufacturer side to provide solutions uh, for our customers, solutions uh, which actually make their life easier, yeah. which make them more productive. And uh, uh, that's, uh, that's as well what actually still fascinates me and which motivates me at Leica Geosystems to provide such solutions to our customers. Great. Thank you very much. Richard, now over to you. Um, we mostly talked about hardware, hard, hardware um, so far, but you're the director for field software here. Um, yeah, how did you see Captivate, like a Captivate, um, you know, taking, you know, being part of these innovations and where, where do you, um, yeah, see the, the innovation part of the software in the whole, yeah. in the whole uh, story? Yeah, sure. I mean, I find it also fascinating whenever we talk about surveying as an industry. And quite often here at Leica Geosystems, we use that word solutions. Hans Martin said solutions. We don't just talk about hardware or software. We really talk about solutions. To have a solution, you kind of have to have a problem in the first place. Mm -hmm. And the problem is what um, the users like Shelton face every day in the field, the challenging surveying challenges that presented you, the measurement challenge, the computational challenge. How do I solve this problem? And that's where we like to think we come in with these huge hardware innovations we've seen over the years, be it a multi-station, uh, the Leica AP20, whatever it is, those hardware innovations. But without the software, you can't <laughs> access them. You need to you have the software to unleash the power of the hardware because the power's there in that hardware and the software has to be the, the counterpart. It's the, the, the route that our users actually access that power. So we talk about merging of sensors and sensor fusion, like in um, with when System 1200 came out, we merged GPS and TPS at the time. Then we talk about the, the multi-station with Merge Tech. All of these required changes on our software. It required changes to the way we store data, changes to the way we present data, and changes to the way we interact with data. Mm. So um, for me, the software challenge is quite often trying to keep up with uh -huh. the hardware innovations uh -huh. Uh -huh. and just trying to make sure that every hardware function we bring is tangible for our, our users, brings real benefit and does result in a solution that, like Shelton says, can help his, his daily life. Yeah, exactly. So Shelton, I mean, you were saying that in the beginning you didn't start working with a product because you, you needed first to learn the software. So how has this process been for you? I mean, from the first software you've learned to now over to like a Captivate and like the that latest software with of course it's a lot like there's a lot more in there I'd say than what it was in the beginning mm -hmm. so how how was that training for you um if you the history that I have experienced is I think Hewlett Packard had uh, I bought a little handheld computer you know at the time uh, we actually did it uh, the longhand way I just didn't have paper but I did have a field book to put that data in. I collected it that way. I have about 80 field books. And when technology caught up to the power of the instrument, you know, and, and permitted me to collect it and then uh, uh, use it to determine positions and this sort of thing. 
uh, uh, wow, that was a big leap. I said, I don't use field books anymore. I used the raw file, you know, and printed out and store it in a folder. So, uh, yeah, technology has been great. And like I say, it's, uh, it's, and like Richard and Hans both have said, you know, this keeps evolving and pretty soon, uh, I'll just go home with all of the information in my own head, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're, we're not quite there yet, but who knows, right? <laughs> right, right. So for you, like, can you still remember the first time uh, you you've used like a Captivate? I mean, you said you're using a, a TS-16. Um, was that intuitive for you or were you like afraid of all these buttons and um, different views? Well, it's a if. It's different, you know. Uh, all the softwares that I've used since I started my practice are different in different ways. Uh, Captivate, I first used it on the uh, TCRA 1102. And, uh, you know, it's a, a little transition there to, to uh, understanding how to get the information out of it the way I needed it at the time. But uh, it didn't take too long, you know, before I could use it effectively every day. Great. I'm happy to hear that. I mean, it's been so many years now that you've been in the field. There must be some passion around surveying. I mean, we've already heard it from you, obviously. Um, I mean, no one would do that for, I guess, 48, more than 48 years if it was not for also some love for the for the whole um, yeah work that you're doing. So... What is it that fascinates you about surveying, Shelton? I, you know, the nature is a big world. So uh, being able to uh, understand history in a way, to uh, retrace, you know, that's what surveyors do for the most part, uh, except for the new subdivisions we make today. You know, retracement is probably the most interesting thing a surveyor ever does is to follow the footsteps of somebody that was there long before me and uh, uh, and use your wit and knowledge and understanding of how they practiced. And uh, I've, you know, I've had this experience of finding a corner that was set in 1854 wow. that has been found since. And uh, that's a, I could write a little short story on that and I think it would be <laughs> Uh, good reading for people, you know, but I think uh, uh, surveying is quasi everything. I mean, it is history, the latest technology and everything in between. And dealing with people, you know, it's, a, it's so much easier to deal with uh, uh, nature out there sometimes. Yeah, oh, beautiful. Is there like your most favorite place in nature where you've like, you know, been surveying? Um, I've seen things that very few people have seen uh, because I was there at a certain time and it happened while I was there, you know. Uh, I've been shot at a couple of times. <laughs> Uh, you, you know, people, possession is powerful. You know, people what people think the property is theirs and they feel this burden to defend it. You know, what are you doing here? And if you don't answer correctly, 
uh, or according to their thinking, you're a threat. And uh, yeah, it took me back to my military days very quickly. Yeah. <laughs> you said that you've seen things no one has ever seen, probably in terms of nature. So tell us more about it. What have you seen? I've, I've seen this wasp on a really cool fall morning uh, chasing a spider that was 20 times bigger than it was. And the spider was terrified <laughs> and trying to get away from the wasp. And then in just a matter of minutes, the wasp stung the spider, paralyzed it, and then dragged it away. You know, and I thought, wow, you know, I never would have seen such a thing had I not been here at this time, at this place, you know, so. Well, that's just one uh, that one of the experiences I can never forget is a 900 foot long railroad bridge over the Hall River here in North Carolina. And uh, I was the instrument man in that crew. I was not in charge of the crew and nobody checked the train schedule. And I had to drive a point at the intersection of the center of the river in the center of the tracks. And I had a 60 penny nail and a hammer. And when I got two good licks on it, I hear this horn, you know, and I'm thinking, oh my gosh, <laughs> you know, I'm 500 feet from the hill and there's nothing between the cross ties and it's 60 feet down to the river. So, I had to decide whether to run away from the train or towards the train. And I ran towards the train and had to jump off um, right off the edge of the water. So the train was going 70 miles per hour. So the other two guys with me were just terrified for me, you know, but I managed to get off the tracks. That's unforgettable. Oh, I bet. What, what a story. And uh, we, we surveyed to it at that time uh, with steel tape. After the train was gone, we knew there wouldn't be another coming from the other direction. So we finished the job. <laughs> well, no one can say that surveying is not a lot of action. <laughs> well, it has its perils, you know, all the time. In fact, this time of year, yellow jackets are the greatest threat to a surveyor, and that's that's another wasp. And uh, the cooler it gets, the meaner they get. So I've experienced that as well. Wow, all kinds of different experiences right here. Yeah, thank you so much for sharing. Richard, I would love to hear also from you. I mean, I've heard you call yourself a surveying geek. So <laughs> what is it that you love so much about surveying? I mean, it's sort of tough to say, but also, somehow easy to understand it's there's a, a real challenge faced in front of you most days when you're doing survey work there's a challenge a problem to solve you need to embrace technology but respect uh, techniques from the past you need to have a solid foundation in in mathematics and then you with what you've got available solve the problem so, so somehow what's not enjoyable about that like it it's just an enjoyable challenge of course there are days Okay, I've not been <laughs> chased 
uh, by a train off of a bridge. But there are days when it's less enjoyable. I've been, you know, working in the English summer rain, covered head to toe in water from a van driving past a puddle who thought it was funny to swerve into the puddle instead of around the puddle. These, these, these things are the exception. The vast majority of the time, you know, you, you love it because of that challenge. You, you're outside, you're really engaging your mind as well because it's not a simple repetitive job. There are challenges. You can solve it in a better way. You can think of how to be faster, more productive. Yes, with technology, but also with techniques. Mm. And yeah, that challenge just is somehow a little bit inspiring. And I have a lot of friends today who still work as surveyors. I mean, yes, I'm now on this side of the fence, but I have friends who still work as surveyors. And just when you, you chat with them and you ask them what they've been up to, it, it is fun and they still enjoy it today. And actually they enjoy it more when they get to apply new technology to it mm. as well. So it's that great combination of somehow cutting edge but somehow really traditional and yeah it all merges together and actually makes a great profession mm, yeah, yeah it's yeah. just really a great mix as yeah, you said exactly. yeah absolutely yeah. hans martin now of course i want to hear from you what does surveying mean to you and why is, do you have this passion for it actually as i said it started actually years years ago at that time in school this 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 passion about maps as well this this exploration of of uh, of surveyors uh, And it fascinated me years, hundred years ago, how, how actually they did surveying. It's unbelievable. Uh, they they uh, climbed up to the mountains and they did some surveying. So, so this kind of a fascination from the past. But these days, it's absolutely fascinating how surveyors work and what they do. I mean, all big construction sites, whether this is a big tunnel or bridge, you need surveyors. Mm. And uh, it's absolutely fascinating what they do and uh, what the result is. I mean, just imagine building a tunnel if there is no surveyor, uh, I bet uh, you, you will not finish the tunnel. Yeah. <laughs> and that's, but that's on the other hand as well, let's say a little bit the, the challenge of a surveyor. It's often not seen by, by the public, mm-hmm. by the people. They, they just take it as granted that this bridge is now over the, the river or that tunnel is uh, underneath the mountain. And I think this uh, Uh, this awareness needs to be created by the surveyors and uh, needs to be shown as well what they yeah. achieve. It's, it's mm. an absolutely great, great achievement. Mm-hmm. And this uh, fascinated me. And now these days, I mean, I get even more fascinated as well uh, by the solution which we really can provide to the, to the surveyors, to the measurement professionals to, to make their life easier, uh, get more productive or as well to help them to solve, solve problems. I mean, there are still surveying problems around <laughs> these days and they need to be solved. And uh, that's our job, uh, which we do here, uh, to create solutions to solve uh, these uh, daily problems. Absolutely, yeah. And one of the latest solutions we did create is the Leica AP20 Autopole. Um, you both have been heavily involved yeah. in the creation of it. And Shelton, I know that You um, already got to see the Leica AP20, um, so I'd love to hear your first impression of the of the solution. How was it for you to use it for the very first time? As I've explained to Dean earlier today, uh, that fills a little gap, you know, of technology. That uh, uh, if I were 600 feet from a traverse point and one leaf was in the way. <laughs> You know, I have to stop what I'm doing, go down and knock the leaf down. Well, with this pole, you just lean over and take the shot, you know. So 
That to me is uh, filling the gap of technology. Uh, of course, I have GPS today, and uh, that's it's great, but it needs a clear blue sky most of the time for extreme accuracy. But uh, this is accurate all the time, you know, with the with the Leica uh, Theodolite and the A20. It's a fabulous. Great, happy to hear that. One of the features is the auto height feature, which means, you know, you can change the height and it would Im immediately uh, change it within the software. And we've heard from so many surveyors, I say their height stories about how they, you know, before changed the height of their pole, forgot to um, change in the software and then had to do it all over again or whatsoever. Has that ever happened to you in your 40, 48 years, Shelton? you know, uh, with the equipment I have today, if I had to raise or lower my prism pole to take a shot, I'd have to first have the instrument recognize where it is. It has to see it. And then I have to lay it on the ground, measure it, you know, put it in my data collector and uh, take the shot. And then remember to change the rod height when I put it back down, you know, otherwise you've got a lot of, uh, uh, unnecessary work to do to correct it when you get it back to the computer. So I like it. I like that it does that in the pole, you know. Well, it, well the Captivate software is constantly knowing where that prism is, which is a good thing. Then I can watch more spiders, you know, try to get away from a wasp and that kind of stuff. <laughs> The real world, you know, it's the beauty. One of the things about surveying is it encompasses almost all of the professions when you think about it. And it's the second oldest profession, by the way. Um, and I do think about those things a lot because uh, it's just my nature to do that. But I do love I do love being a surveyor and I have for a long time. Otherwise, there's no telling what else I might have been doing, you know. Yeah, and I mean, the fact that you've been in surveying so long and so successfully and also how you went with the innovation is, you know, just such a beautiful story to hear. Even you, hear, you hearing talking about surveying, uh, about your passion also for surveying itself, but also for the equipment, for the innovations is super, super inspiring. Mm -hmm. Yeah, <laughs> so far, uh, I've seen it all, but you may be working on something back there. <laughs> <laughs> we sure are. <laughs> That's good. I look forward to that. Great. Well, we stick a little bit more with the AP20 and Hans Martin. I know that you always believed in it, right? You told me that you always believed that one day till compensated TPS surveying would be possible. Um, how has this journey been for you to see this dream come true? absolutely great. I mean, let me look back a little bit. Uh, I mean, we at uh, Leica Geosystems, we have now since longer time experience with the IMU technology, the Inertial Measurement uh, Unit, which we have first integrated into the, our GS18T, the world's first uh, GNSS tilt pole. Uh, so since then, I always believed, I mean, this must also be possible with total stations. And uh, we had several pre-projects, projects as well, and I always believed in, in, in our people. I mean, you need a lot of people, you know, a lot of brains uh, 
doing all these algorithms and bring a total station and IMU together uh, into our organization and actually uh, we made it. The whole team uh, did a great job and uh, it's absolutely great to see this world's first solution, world's first steel pole for uh, a total station. It was a longer journey with up and downs mm -hmm. but I always believed in, in, in our people and the technology and uh, yeah, the results we see and it's great as well to hear uh, Sheldon to, to talk about his first experience and uh, how happy he is with mm. the AP20. Absolutely. So you were talking already about like there were some challenges. Can you tell us about some of them? Yeah, what were the biggest challenges yeah. in developing the AP20? I mean, one of the big challenges was actually uh, we have an IMU, we have a total station and they are, they are part of each other. So you need, as soon as you tilt the pole, actually, the total station needs to know the tilt. And there's no delay. I mean, you cannot delay anything. So that means the time synchronization between the AP20 and the total station. That was uh, one of the biggest uh, challenges which we had to overcome. And uh, I mean, at the end, we want to be as well accurate. We want to be reliable. And that uh, we want to have a measurement with, uh, with the required quality. And to bring this all together with this distance from total station to AP20, that was one of the biggest uh, challenge, which, uh, but we, which we obviously uh, did manage, and uh, mm -hmm. it's now not a challenge anymore. So. <laughs> yeah, it has become reality. <laughs> it has become reality, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Richard, you were uh, one of the drivers behind the software side of things. Yeah. Tell us a bit about what had to be done uh, in terms of the software to uh, enable the magic of the AP20. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I sort of touched on it a little bit at the start that sometimes, you know, in, in software, it's our role to ensure that uh, these wonderful hardware innovations can be realized at the fingertips of the measurement professional. And that's really what it was with the AP20. It's about ensuring that um, every time that, that pole height's changed, not only does the software know about it, but the, the user knows about it. So the, the change happens visibly in the software, both you know, you see the numeric value change because your pole height's changed, but also graphically. So inside the software today, you can see everything in a 3D viewer. So you see everything, you can zoom, rotate, view everything on the screen at once. And that includes a little graphic of the pole where you can really see the pole tilting, you can see the pole height um, shorten or lengthen. And these things, that I don't come for free. That's real um, hard work by the software developers there to bring this to light so that in the field, it just works. But of course, there's a lot of people <laughs> behind the scenes making it just work. But that's really where we see ourselves on a project like the, the AP20 Autopole. It's about ensuring every good feature becomes a good benefit, right? And so that it really makes a difference to the people using the equipment. Absolutely. Yeah. And we've now talked about the compensation, about the pull hard, but there's a third big uh, advantage to the AP20, and that's the, the target ID. So Hans Martin, can you tell us a bit more about uh, yeah, the technology behind the target ID and how it solves the problems? Yeah, the target ID is actually a unique ID of, of your target, of your prism at the end on the pole side. And I mean, these days we see more and more uh, bigger construction sites, big construction site where not just one surveying crew is working on, there's two, three, four, five surveying crews, or even more working in parallel. And therefore, it's going more and more important, actually, that the total station searches and finds just your target, the target which it shall measure on. 
And uh, with the AP20, we have uh, a unique identifier so that the total station, when, when the person on the pole actually searches for the total station, for the right total station, the total station immediately finds uh, this uh, target with the unique ID. And that clearly brings uh, a benefit to our uh, customers. Uh, it speeds up the whole measurement process, which ends up at the end with more productivity. Great, great. Thank you very much. And I feel like, you know, the three coming together is just the perfect mix. And as you said, Shelton, it's like it's filling in a gap that, that was here before, but uh, happily, happily no longer is. Is there, um, besides, you know, this application you said about, you know, just quickly tilting your pole uh, in order to get around that, uh, that leaf hanging down, is there another application that you're like, okay, wow, the AP20 would make this so much easier? Oh, well, it saves a, a lot of time, you know, uh, the most, I guess, still the most important job a surveyor does is, is identify a boundary. And we're never going to get away from the 43 and a half inch bush axe I use every day to do that. So uh, the equipment saves me so much time. You know, then now I only have to make tiny little holes through the woods, you know, to uh, get the survey done. And and then if they want the line trued up, what we call trued up, I only have to open it one time. In the old days, we traversed, you know, until we found the other corner and then had to justify it before we cut the line. But uh, with this new stuff, it's really great. And we know this close, you know, it's good. It's good, but we're still retracing the steps of a surveyor before me and uh, distances are almost always shorter for us than they were for them because they didn't have this wonderful equipment that we have today. Absolutely, yeah. I love, you know, how we've been talking now about about the past, about these milestones. And now, as you said, Shelton, like surveying is this beautiful mixture of what has been done before, the traditions, the, the techniques, as you said, but then also the future, the, the innovations, the things that hopefully make our lives easier, make um, yeah, surveying maybe more enjoyable or uh, yeah, make the technology, you know, work for the surveyor. Um, so as the last question, I would yeah, love to dream with you now because we've been talking about the past, but what do you see coming in the future? And Shelton, I'd love to, to start with you. You know, what do you wish to see in the future? Where should the surveying industry be going? Well, uh, for the profession, uh, I think what you're doing is what needs to continue. You know, as we understand more about uh, the power of advancement in technology. But for me, you know, uh, well, I just want to play golf. I've been doing this a long time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's absolutely understandable. I'll still be involved in surveying. Yes, wonderful. Great, great. And I think um, you've already um, trained some younger surveyors to, to follow your footsteps or let's say um, inspired some younger surveyors to follow your footsteps. So. Yeah, you, I guess you did your job. <laughs> Turning to the two of you, um, yeah, Richard, let's uh, start with you. What do you want to see? I mean, fusion continues to happen. We continue to bring more technologies together into more devices. Plus, we see additional devices that 
a few years ago we weren't seeing. So you see it with the, the BLK to fly, with the BLK arc. This type of mass data collection is really different from what we've saw in the past. And when you add that to the point by point collection where we're doing the coding and the line work, and you put it all together, it's about merging that together, be it at the sensor level, but also at the data level. So for me, the short and medium and longer future, it's all about merging this data together so that we can extract the points we need or the data we need more efficiently, we can collect more efficiently. So there's a lot of fusion. Then the other point you touched upon is new, the new breed or the new generation of surveyors. It, it is sometimes a sad, a sad state when you see that the surveyors are of course getting older as we all are, but there's not always the younger um, next generation of surveyors coming through in the numbers we might want. Part of it is what Hans Martin spoke about, raising the awareness of the profession, because who's gonna go up in a high rise that wasn't touched by a surveyor? I wouldn't. Who's gonna go on a, <laughs> on a train going on a railway track yeah. that, that where a surveyor's never been? I, I wouldn't. So the profession's key and we need to bring people in. And part of bringing people in is somehow making it attractive to them, not just with, um, the work, but also with the tools that they use. So this idea of bringing more exciting technology together, I think it's, I think it, it's, it's a double win. You know, it's, mm, mm. it means we can work faster, but it also means it's more attractive to, you know, perhaps younger people coming into the industry. They expect a different type of user interface, a different type of user interaction. We all sort of seen it with phones and tablets, the way they've changed over 10 years. And we need to see the same happen in, you know, professional tools and it, it ha does happen and it is happening but that needs to continue and for me that's the future it's that making it easier to attract new people into the profession and then making it faster and more attractive by merging technologies and making the data easier to use yeah what a great vision thank yeah. you Hans Martin what about yeah, you I see two parts one part is that survey itself will change that actually mentioned rich yeah. very well now how this will evolve and the other part I see is actually that surveying as well will change the world. Because surveying actually creates data. And based on data, uh, we do decisions today and tomorrow. And data will change our industry, will change our lives, but as well will change our earth, how it is today. So we need data, people will need data to make their decisions. As well, the future will be, I mean, digital twins is a, is a hot topic. Uh, that, that's the future and uh, already today, for instance, with Metaverse, we build up uh, digital reality and this will build up based on the data from the reality. This needs to be cap captured and then brought into these uh, digital realities. And in there we do simulations, we do uh, plannings, we even live in there, we, we enjoy life uh, digitally. So I see really the a big, big impact of the surveying industry into this new digital uh, uh, century, uh, that's uh, I believe. So uh, we bring from from like G systems, we bring the technologies, and surveying itself will change. And that uh, I'm really looking forward to take this journey with Leica with Hexagon. Absolutely, yeah. Well, thank you every, everyone for sharing. I mean, we have a bright future ahead in terms of surveying. There's still so much to discover. While you know. Um, stepping on, let's say, the shoulders of uh, what has been before us. So, thank
Thank you everyone for joining this talk. It was a pleasure for me to get to talk to you, to pick your brains and learn from you. Thank you everyone for listening and hope to see you soon back. We appreciate your time today. Again, thank you for joining us. To our listeners, you can learn more and tune in to more Hexagon Radio episodes on iTunes, Spotify or SoundCloud. Or visit hexagonspotlight.com for more stories from Hexagon. Thank you for listening and hopefully see you soon.